I think I heard my own theme song about 150 fucking times today. <sighs> I had my iPhone on shuffle and it just just kept coming on. I don't know why. I don't usually even listen to music. I usually listen to podcasts all the time. I'm all podcast all the time. But today I thought, meh, it's a beautiful sunny day. It's 25 degrees. Why not? Why not splurge and listen to some music? I actually listened to music yesterday too. And yesterday... I fell down hard. I ate shit. (laughs) It's fucking embarrassing because I kind of feel like I'm always being watched. Like someone's always watching me. If you remember on The Sopranos when Tony's mom sets the entire kitchen on fire, it's because she was looking out the window watching the little black male lady leave a parcel at someone's door. And that's why her house was engulfed in flames and she got sent to to Shady Pines or whatever they called it. So I feel like I'm constantly on display and uh, I just went to cross my legs and my scab kind of broke open. You know, nothing's worse than eating shit for no apparent reason. I fell on fucking nothing. And then I proceeded to sit there like the family guy and go, ah, oh, for like 45 minutes. I sat there just like that, just doing that. Fuck, assholes. But you know what? You... I don't know why I do it. Like, why am I rushing around like such an asshole all the time? I can't pick up my kid till 2.30. So it doesn't matter how much I rush. I still have that time limitation. So there's no fucking point. Just run around like an asshole. And for what, really? To fall, I guess. To fall is the point. Anyway. So when I fell, I said fuck. But I didn't scream fuck as much as I really wanted to. I was just like, fuck. You know? Because like, fuck. Right? Ugh bullshit and then I gathered up all my letters like a fucking asshole splayed across somebody's lawn fucking embarrassing is that and it hurts to fall when you're old like it's all fine and good when you're like 11 or 12 and you're just like whoop, oh there we go fell again but when you're an adult it's like you could I could break a hip I'm almost 35 I could very much very easily break a hip one false move and then boom I'm in fucking traction anyway so how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing good? Oh, you look good. Lost some weight? Yeah? I know. I know. I know. I know. Life is hard. Hang on. I've been drinking. I don't know if you can tell from my drunk voice or the fact that I don't make any sense, but I've been a drinking. Hang on. I'm going to have a, have a Friday night sip. Hang on. Oh, oh Granville Island Brewery. So good. So good. Okay, where were we? We were talking about me falling down, and I did. I did fall, and it was wonderful. Now, there is a saying that says, walk swiftly and carry a big stick. Here's my plan. When Sarah finally comes to the realization that she's settling for me, and uh, she doesn't really need me, she just needs joint custody of our wonderful son, and I become homeless because I can't afford to buy a house on my own, here's my plan. Keys. Keys. Yeah, yeah, keys. Here's the plan. Keys, right? So what you do is you're homeless, you've got nowhere to go, you're living in a refrigerator box, and you have one shoe. Keys. Let me explain. If you see someone with a big knot of keys, I know, lesbians, I told you not to clip keys to your belt last week, and that still stands, unless you're homeless. Here's why. If you have keys strapped to your to your person. You're obviously very important. And no matter where you are, you are in charge. 
case in point. I was delivering mail to a community club and there was a really weird looking gentleman there. And at first I was like, the fuck are you doing in this nice neighborhood walking around like an asshole? He was like collecting pucks around an ice rink. He was like, yeah, these pucks must have been flying everywhere. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, because something happens to me when I'm on the street as a mailman. It's like my personality kind of disappears, which is good because nobody wants to hear me (laughs) and all my glorious personality while I'm at work. I have to be, you know, I have to have some kind of professionalism. I try to anyway, but something happens and I kind of turn into a retard who falls and acts like an asshole. But I was like, because I never know what to say to people. I don't know what the fuck. And he had a big knot of keys. And I came back the next day and he was wearing the exact same clothes, still looking around for these fucking hockey pucks. So I thought, hmm, there was something about those keys that made me shut up and assume that he belonged there when in fact he was probably just some fucking weird bum who heard voices telling him to pick up hockey pucks. Do you see what I'm getting at here, folks? Is this making sense to you? I thought so. I thought so. So that's my plan. When I do end up homeless, I'll just carry a big bunch of keys and then walk around an apartment building and just sleep in the laundry room. Yeah. Solid ass plan. Solid ass plan. Okay, listen. I've been drinking. It may be Monday morning for you, but it's Friday night for me. So listen, I've got a plan. I don't have a plan. I just want an excuse to tell this joke again. So Monica Lewinsky has resurfaced into the universe. I think she was in Horror's Digest or whatever. So a million years ago, look, I feel like I can retell this joke because it's been like four years since I told it on a podcast. And that podcast I told it on is now defunct. So it's my joke again. And I feel like stand-up comics use the same jokes a million times over. So why can't I retell this one? Exactly. Why can't I? I can. I can. If you ask Malcolm, can you go get me that? I can. Will you, will you help me? I will. Do you like tomatoes? I do. Oh, I love that kid. He's so fucking cute. He's just adorable. Okay. Now, Horse Digest. Okay. I had an entire theory. You have to remember that when this whole Monica Lewinsky thing went down, it was like 95, 96. I was 15 or 16, smoking weed and being an asshole. Having said all that, there comes a point in every lesbian's life where she realizes that Monica Lewinsky is a bit of a fucking dirty whore who let some old man jizz on her blue dress and kept it. Did not take it to the dry cleaner. But that's okay. I mean, whatever. Whatever glazes your donut, right? I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. But my theory on the whole reason that Bill Clinton put that cigar in Monica Lewinsky's vagina is this. Quick, simple, here it comes. I'm sure... If you walk through the halls of the White House, there's more than one portrait of Winston Churchill. Now, what is Winston Churchill without his cigar? He's nothing. Unrecognizable, really. He's a bit bulldoggy, got those nice hangy jowls. He's got a meaty, beat-up face. So here it is. I think he went and sat in the Oval Office. Monica Lewinsky came in, sat on his desk, opened her legs to God and everyone, and he was confused. He took one look at that sweaty, meaty, bulbous badge and thought, oh, what's Winston Churchill without a cigar? And he put a cigar in there. Do you see what I'm saying here, folks? It's not a matter of sexual harassment or 
even attraction for that matter. Just a clear case of mistaken identity. Her vagina looks like Winston Churchill. And what's Winston Churchill without his cigar? Right? He was just trying to complete the puzzle, that's all. Not that I should talk shit. My vagina looks like Hervé Villachez. De plane, boss! De plane! Waka waka waka! Hey, oh, how's that? Not that funny? No? Okay, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I think I'm the funniest kid in town, but that's just me. That's just me loving me, listening to you love me. I don't know where all of these new listeners are coming from. And it's certainly not coming from my heavy breathing and mouth noises during these terrible podcasts, but whatever, I'll take it. I really don't know where they're coming from. There was a huge influx all of a sudden. Oh, my scabby knee. I'm so old. <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's just heavy breathe some more. Okay. So in other news, uh, Sarah and I are looking to have baby number two. And if you followed the whole Sperm Quest 2011 from the Return to Sender podcast, which I think you should, it was funny. We had some good times. Um, it's an ordeal. Picking a sperm donor is an ordeal. It's a really weird thing. I don't like it. It's hard. And especially now that we ran out of uh, the donor we conceived Malcolm with, it is especially hard. Because I know that Malcolm's donor helped produce a very smart, handsome young man. And I have neither of those qualities. So he must have contributed in a big, huge way. And even those ugly lesbians in Minnesota, they had really cute kids. So I don't know. It's weird. So now I'm emailing how it works in Canada. It's very, very, very different. Because basically what happened the first time around when we were sperm shopping is I sat down with one of um, a friend of a friend, kind of a distant friend, but she had done this whole process with her girlfriend before. And she told us how it all worked, which bank to use, what to do, how it works. Everything was all laid out for us. So we did do that. That's how I conceived. We went to, uh, called, called in an order, went to a UPS store, picked up the sperm, went to a dirty, filthy uh, <laughs> hotel and inserted it, which doesn't sound all that intimate, but it made a baby. So regardless, it worked out just fine. And if you want to hear about the first time I uh, inseminated the episode of Return to Sender was Loading Zone, I think. Yeah, so that's the first time. And I think that's when I go into the most detail about how weird it is and all the strangeness. But now we're having to go through a Canadian uh, sperm bank place. But it's you can't get paid in Canada to donate sperm or to donate blood. So what they do is they're basically a middleman. So they go to the same sperm banks in the States. The, actually, as a matter of fact, the exact same one that we use to conceive Malcolm. Except they charge double. But if you want to use any kind of fertility drug or have anything covered by Manitoba Health, because I think we get a 40% subsidy on fertility treatments in Canada or in Manitoba, at least anyway. So in order to get that subsidy and just to make it easier, because you can very easily go on a lunch break, get inseminated with semen, much like Monica Lewinsky, and uh, go back to work. As opposed to driving four hours down into the States, talking to fucking morons who say things like, Kitty Wampus. I remember the first time we went down there to get Sarah inseminated in the hopes of getting pregnant. Uh, she's in the stirrups or whatever. And it's a very vulnerable time for a woman. You know, you don't want to uh, really be in that position for very long. Trust me, as a woman who went through 40 plus hours of labor, you do not want to be in that position for very long. So this chick comes in and she's, she's a real Fargo. Well, how are you all doing today? 
And I'm an idiot. So I was like, what are your stats like? And she said, excuse me. And I was like, well, how many people have you gotten pregnant? Oh, quite a few. I said, you know what? You guys should have like baseball cards with like, you know, how many people inseminated, how many at bats, right? Similar, right? How many people you've gotten pregnant? I don't know what an RBI is, but I know that's on a baseball card. Anyway, so she's, she's there. And, uh, Sarah's in the stirrups and she's like, well, you're all kitty wampus. And keep in mind, her Sarah's vagina is out in the open. It's in the air covered by a semi-plastic, semi-paper napkin. And I was like, what the fuck? So I gave it a second. She inserted it. I was there. And I looked at the nurse when it was all said and done and Sarah's vagina was safely covered and she was resting. And I looked at the nurse and I said, what does kitty wampus mean? She's like, oh, you've never heard Kitty Wampus. And I was like, no, what what does that mean? She's like, it's like the dog's breakfast. It's all it's all wonky. It's all mixed up. I was like, what like what fucking planet are you on? How is it that you are a short four-hour drive from my home and I have never heard the term kitty wampus? Have you is that like a normal American thing? I don't think I have ever heard that before. I don't get it. Anyway, I don't remember what the fucking point of this story was. <sighs> Right. So she was Kitty Wampus. So we're out of sperm. Now we've got to reshop for sperm. Can you reshop? Is that a word? I don't know. Anyway. So I'm looking and I know that the prices for the, for the cryobank we used before were around three, three fifty. Now these cocksuckers, there's like a Canadian middleman who is, is, it's the only place that, uh, these sperm banks can ship to. And then they ship from Toronto to wherever, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, wherever the fuck you are which is great, except that they prey on people. And here's how. When you order from the sperm bank directly to a UPS store in Grand Forks or Fargo, whatever the case may be, you pay 300 a vial, maybe 350. I'm not too sure what the prices are now, but back when I inseminated, it was $275. No middleman, no bullshit. Now, when we picked Malcolm's donor, it was very important to both of us that he be a donor that would be considered open, like willing to have contact at 18 years, which could really mean anything. It doesn't necessarily mean that you get to meet the guy and shake his hand and say, thank you very much for helping us build a family. It could just be like a letter, you know, it could just be an exchange of pictures or something because you have to remember these guys are like, I don't know, anywhere from 18 to 25 that they would donate and they're in, they're in college or whatever. And they're just trying to earn extra money. So there's going to come a point where they usually will get married and they'll have a family. So at any point they can call and say, "Mm, I don't want to remain open anymore. But it was important to me and to Sarah as well that they be open from the get-go just because I didn't want to close that door from the very beginning. I wanted Malcolm to at least have the option of, I don't know, uh, exchanging pictures or something. This is really weird. I know a lot of people won't understand this, but it's just a weird thing. And it was important to both of us that the donor be open, whoever it was. So that's a contributing factor to making our decision. Now, when you go through these Canadian sites, the middleman, they charge two or $300 more if you want an open donor, which really aggravates me because I don't think that's fair. I think that's preying on people because it's not like that sperm has to go through any extra testing it's clearly just a supply and demand issue, right? So a lot of people want an open donor. Let's charge a few hundred dollars more for no fucking reason. It's not like it costs any more for the guy to be open, which really irritates me, but it's just, 
the cost of doing business. It's just what it's going to cost to get this to get this done. And I have baby fever. And the best part of having baby fever, I don't have to give birth to this fucking baby. I get to watch this baby grow. I get to watch somebody else get big and fat and lovely and beautiful and grow a baby and not be able to tie their fucking shoes and huff and puff up and down the stairs. I get to watch this time. And Sarah is absolutely terrified because my delivery was so shitty. It was fucking long and shitty and awful. And quite literally, there was a periscope in my vagina. And there were so many doctors and nurses in the room during this procedure. They put the periscope in. Sarah looked in the periscope because the whole point, the baby's heart rate, Malcolm's heart rate was not fluctuating. It was, it was, it's like it's supposed to go to like 160, 175, 180, but it was just 165. And that's when they start to worry because brain damage can happen. Like, is he getting septic? What's going on in there? So they have to clear off my blood from his scalp, poke him in the head, get his blood sample, run it down to the testing station, and then run it back with the results, right? So there was one point, like, this is all a foggy haze for me because... I was exhausted. I was hungry. I was so tired. I hadn't slept in I don't know how many days at this point. And Sarah looks through the periscope at, at into my vagina at the hair <laughs> attached to my son's scalp. And she got woozy. So I understand that she's a little bit concerned about giving birth because I was like the perfect storm. It was just like the worst possible case scenario in the history of giving birth. I asked my doctor during the C-section while she was telling me about her Audi or whatever she wanted to buy. She was like telling me to like what car she was going to buy. She had a boxy BMW uh, SUV of some kind. And she wanted to get something sleek because she's not a hockey mom anymore. And I'm like, you realize I'm really close to death. But this was her small talk, I guess. She was just like telling me about wanting to get a sleeker vehicle. And I was like, whatever. But I was so delirious at that point. I, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't. I didn't even know what was appropriate. I was the equivalent of as drunk as I am now, except not that I'm not really that drunk, but kind of a little bit. So Sarah undoubtedly is a little concerned about what's going to happen to her, but I had to go first because A, I'm older and B, I could not watch her go through this because she's the toughest chick I know. Like she can, her back hurts all the time every day. And if I had to watch her go through that much pain and then try and do that myself, there's no way I'm such a fucking puss. Anyway, so now we have to, start at the very beginning, start completely over and pick a new sperm donor. But the wonderful thing about going through a Canadian service, the only good thing, I can pay them $75, send them a photo of all of us as a family, and they will pick a donor for us. And I specifically wrote to this woman and I said, listen, I don't want any pale-faced fucking basement dweller PS4 playing douchebag loser. I want someone who's seen the sun, has a natural tan, a hue, has a golden hue and has seen the light of fucking day. Like, and maybe if he's good looking, that's not, that's not a problem. But like, what do we do now? Do we match that donor to someone with like an olive complexion and brown hair and brown eyes like I have? Or do we try and match the donor that we conceived with, with Malcolm? What do we do? I don't know. I don't know. I've never been in this position before. And who knows? Like they tell you not to get attached to a certain donor because Maybe their sperm and your eggs don't jive, so don't get attached. But what do we do? And the worst part is there's almost too much information when you're trying to pick a donor. Some sites, you can listen to an audio clip of them and realize that they can't speak and they sound like assholes. And then you can read their essays. And like, I appreciate in the essay part where they write, why are you, they ask you, why are you doing this? And they say, for the money, I understand that. 
our donor specifically, I liked the part that he said, I want to help people conceive that couldn't do it without me. And the money doesn't hurt either. It's kind of like, yes, I want to jerk off in a cup while watching MILF porn. But it's also nice to contribute to your family. But the money is really good too. Like these are all things, right? All good things, I think. It's honesty. It's a case of supply and demand. He's the supply. I'm the demand. But some of these essays, they're just like, if you look at just physical attributes, win-win. 6'2", 180 pounds, brown hair, blue eyes, medium skin tone. That's all you really have to go by. Unless they're freakishly unattractive, in which case they, you check the section called, quote-unquote, staff impressions. And they'll say things like, Roman nose. Uh, eyes set with the inside corners higher than the outside corners, which drives Sarah crazy because she always makes the because Scott Bakula has eyes like that, and she's a Trekkie nerd, so she always said she always makes this like me, you know, crybaby face because Scott Bakula always has the eyebrows raised, <laughs> and he looks like a big puppy dog loser. And then she goes off about Star Trek, and I don't, I'm not gonna pretend to get it, but she's like, thank God that show got canceled. It fucking sucked. It was an insult to Star Trek. Like who the fuck watches Star Trek? You're 34 years old. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Anyway, so what's going to happen, I'm going to pay some woman in Toronto $75, and I've specifically asked to not have a basement dweller, and she has specifically promised me to not give me a basement dweller. And I think that's $75 well spent. Ah! Anyway, who cares? It's time to wrap this shit up. I've been drunken mumbling here for 22 minutes and 19 seconds, 20 seconds, 21 seconds. Okay. I'm going to leave you with a wonderful song. And when I fell, this is the song that stuck in my head. Rushing, rushing to life's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Don't know why. I have to drive so fast. My car has nothing to prove. It's not you. But it'll do zero to 60 in 5.2 I'm in a hurry to get things done Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun All I really gotta do is live and die But I'm in a hurry and don't know why Can't be late I leave in plenty of time Shaking hands with the clock I can't stop
till the last no fun.